Diamond Answer Man Show, Season 4, Episode 5, Interview with Peter Yancer. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Jay Christopher Gritz. This is the Diamond Answer Man Show, where our goal is to help everyone learn more about the world of diamonds and feel confident about those purchases. That's right. They help us memorialize our special moments. You may reach me at diamondanswerman.com. We're on the right-hand side of that site. You'll see that little app called SpeakPipe. You can send me a voicemail right there through your smartphone, your Android phone, iOS phone, whatever you have, laptop, desktop, as long as it's got a microphone. You can send me a message. You may also call me at 803-792-1326. You may find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Google+, LinkedIn, just about every network out there. You can send me a message there, and I'll look forward to how we can both help each other learn more about this world we call diamonds and jewelry. Well, thank you so much for listening to this show, and uh, this week we've got a special guest And uh, I hope you will be as excited. In fact, I know you'll be as excited as I am to have this gentleman on the show. uh, It's very rarely that I have the opportunity to have someone that uh, is is a person that I, I respect, look up to, who's driven the industry in a way that he has in, uh, in the education of performance in diamond grading. And uh, I'm so looking forward to this call. So this week we will not have any news or any updates on the trade. There's lots of great things going on. And later on in the following week we'll probably have something we'll talk about. And, uh, and we'll catch up on that. Because this interview here, I'm going to dial in in a second, is probably going to be roughly one hour. So I'm prepping you. Please stay with us this entire interview. You're going to find out a lot of great things that, uh, that are very important to you if you're buying a diamond today and why you should be mindful of what kind of report that you get with your diamond. So I'm going to go ahead and place this phone call, get this line rolling, and uh, let's get this interview, this little get spot started. Hello. Hi, is uh, Peter available? Yo no sé inglés. Oh, sorry about that. Thank you. Man, what a bozo I am. I dialed the wrong phone number, so let's give this a try again. Peter, can I help you? Hey, Peter. It's uh, Jay Christopher Gertz from the Diamond Answer Man Show. How are you? Hello, Jay Christopher. How are you? <laughs> I am absolutely fantastic. Um, sorry about calling you so late. I called somebody and they spoke Spanish, so I knew I dialed the wrong number. That was the funny thing. So not, nothing, like, <laughs> nothing like misplacing those numbers. She said something in Spanish, and I said, I have wrong number. So anyway. <laughs> that, that's, hey, you, know, <laughs> you know who Chick Hearn was? Chick Chick Hearn was the announcer for the Lakers for years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, one of my favorite sayings by that guy was, uh, no harm, no foul, the mustard's still on the cot dog. There you go. (laughs) 
Well, everyone, I'm I'm really excited to have uh, Peter here on the on the show. I'm a little bit awestruck, and if you know, if I were a, if you can imagine being a fan of someone, of course, I'm a fan of Mr. Peter Yancer. He's the executive director of the American Gem Society Laboratory. You know, this is the laboratory that, no pun intended, is setting the highest standards for diamond grading. If I make a joke like that, of course, it's true. And uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. You know, I'm testing the sound, and it's coming out absolutely fantastic. Can you, you can also hear me pretty well, right? Absolutely. Good, good. So, Peter, um, we've got a couple of questions here for you. You know, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, as we sit down together, you know, maybe just letting everyone know that, you know, we have worked together, not directly in the past, Um goes back a long ways. That's probably around 2000, I think, is uh, about the time that we first met. Wasn't that? That was about 2000. And uh, you were just starting the process, maybe a little bit after that, starting the process of uh, the performance grading on the reports, the research that went into that, what is now the ASET and all the great grand images and how you help diamond polishing companies all around the world increase their performance. That was a long time ago. At least it was for me. I don't know about you. It feels like it. Well, time flies. <laughs> it, it does fly. So I, I would like to you know introduce you to my listening audience and uh, encourage them, of course, to think about the American Gem Society and you, of course, being, I would say, the leader in our industry, at least the main person. I know you like to give credit to a lot of people, and there's a lot of people, of course, in the American Gem Society, but in my opinion, um, you have been very outspoken, um, very driven, very passionate about what makes a diamond beautiful and how we can bring that to not just jewelers, but consumers and make it easy for them. And so I'm so excited. And, uh, you know, I I think that one of the first things that we should probably talk about is uh, what the AGS process is and what happens and and what makes the diamond, uh, or I should say, how the diamond achieves its grade, um, and uh, you know what what are the checks and balances for those kinds of things? So what what is the AGS AGSL grading process? Okay, um, in general, you know, probably it might be a good idea to you know say why 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 do I need a a report on the quality of my diamond and. Um, there are more than just the four C's. You know, in today's day and age, um, there are synthetic diamonds, which are really diamonds, but they're just man-made. The carbon atoms form exactly the same as in a natural diamond. And if it's disclosed and, and a consumer knows that it is a synthetic diamond, then they can um, shop accordingly. But when, they, when it isn't disclosed, it causes problems. Um, not only did to look for treatments, but we also check for different kind of treatments. There's laser, there's lasering of the stones, a couple of different methods that do that. There are the diamond imitations, the cubic zirconias and the moissanites. And so we test for all of that. And then there's also the HPHT processing, which can improve a diamond's color dramatically. And the same uh, caveat applies. If, if you're dealing with a report from a a top-tier or top-shelf laboratory, they test for those things, and we do that. 
and essentially the process is this. Uh, most of the diamonds that come to us are come, come from the manufacturing side of the diamond world, and then we write a, an expert third-party opinion as to the quality of that diamond, the four Cs, cut, color, clarity, and current weight. So when the diamonds come to us, we take them first to our weights and measures section where we actually weigh the stones out to four decimal places, and then we measure them using uh, either OGI or serene um, non-contact measuring devices that actually create a three-dimensional scan of each diamond so we know everything about its physical proportions and angles and uh, azimuths, which is uh, just the horizontal angles versus the angles themselves, which are, are vertical angles. And we get all those measurements, and then we just start testing to see, is it a diamond? Is it a natural diamond? Has it been treated in any way, shape, and form? And we have some very expensive equipment that you have to use to do that. For example, uh, we use a, a device called the Diamond Shure, which is made by De Beers uh, over in uh, England. And that diamond looks for very, very specific lines in the in the... Uh, it might be that it'll be the ultraviolet and visible spectrum uh, in the electromagnetic spectrum. And if it sees certain lines or certain combinations, it will say pass. The stone passes the test. And that means it's a natural diamond. If it doesn't see what it's looking for, it'll say refer for further testing. So then we take this. If the stone doesn't pass that process, we take it into our research area, and then we have to do additional tests on it. We have to use a uh, infrared spectrometer to type it. Diamonds come in different types. There's 1As, which are the most common, and 1Bs, and 2As, and 2Bs, and we have to know what kind of, what type is this diamond, and then we apply additional testing as necessary to determine whether it is a natural stone or not, whether it's been treated or not. So, you know, that's a, that's a big plus if you're buying a diamond and you want to know that you're getting a natural diamond and it hasn't been uh, treated in any way. Um, and then we, after that, we take it and it goes through the grading process. So the grading process includes grading the diamond for its cut. How well is the diamond cut in um, multiple ways using our three-dimensional light performance uh, metrics? Uh, we also look at the uh, quality of the faceting on the stone, and we look at the quality of the polish. And then we assign a cut grade based on that. I think we'll get into that a little more later. Then uh, what we also do is we uh, color grade the diamond. We uh, have colorimeters. They're not 100%. The best colorimeters today probably are around 85 to 90% accurate. So we always have human beings check the color as well. And if the two don't agree, then we have a third person. And if that person doesn't agree, then we have supervisory people will, will check the stone for its color grade. And then lastly, the clarity grade of the diamond which we grade under a binocular microscope with a dark field illumination and uh, at 10x, 10x magnification. Although in a laboratory environment, we oftentimes go higher than 10x because part of the job of a, of a diamond grading laboratory is not to miss anything. So, you know, we tend to be a little conservative in that respect. But, you know, our, uh, our function is consumer protection. You you mentioned you know the uh, 
color being checked by um, a, a, another grader, of course. So as it goes through this process, is that the checks and balances? Does that happen for every category of, of the cut, color, and clarity? Obviously, carat weight is pretty simple, but does every section, or I would say rarity characteristic would be my term, does that get, does that, get that double check and balance situation? Yeah, there's a minimum of two graders look at every diamond for all those categories. So, in other words, and then if those two don't agree, then it goes to a supervisory uh, a group of people that will pass it around among themselves to make the final call. So it's it's somebody other than just a grader. When you say a supervisor, it's obviously somebody with some serious experience when it comes to clarity grading. Absolutely. <laughs> is it an SI two or is it an I one? You know that <laughs> those, those can be VVS or VVS two. You know, you mentioned something, and I heard you mention it at the JCK two thousand fifteen, uh, the diamond grading topic. Uh, that was early in the morning, I think. And you mentioned, we were talking about the, the, the issue of reports, but you, uh, and I think we'll get to that too, but one thing, top-tier laboratory. What do you mean by top-tier laboratory? Um, wh- why is it that you use that terminology, and, and what does it take to be a top-tier laboratory? I mean, obviously, we think of the three-letter alphabets uh, laboratory names, and, and of course, any there's uh, everybody can have one. I mean, you you know, I could just open up a lab today, and it would be JCG Labs, right? I mean, it's it's a AGSL Labs, GIA, those kinds of things. But what does it take to be a top tier lab, at least in the consumer's eyes? What they should look for? Uh, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it because the way our the way the diamond world works. There are many competing diamond grading laboratories and businesses. Some of them are institutions like ourselves, the American Gem Society, um, our sister organization, the Gemological Institute of America. There are other laboratories that are are um, held in private hands. They're just straightforward business propositions. But the way the diamond world works is this. Anybody can hang up a shingle and say that they're a diamond grading laboratory, but uh, our industry has a great process to to uh, allow, at least if you're in the industry, that allows you to decide which are the best laboratories and, and which are lesser or lower tier laboratories. And it's done through price. Uh, there's a uh, the Mar- uh, Martin Rappaport publishes the Rappaport Diamond Report and. There's also the uh, industry uh, industry organizations. There's uh, IDEX and Polygon also publish pricing, asking prices from different people that have diamonds to sell. And you can find out who the top-tier laboratories are by finding out, check, comparing the asking prices for like for like. So, for example, if you were to look for a diamond with uh, uh, ideal cut, and uh, VS2 clarity and H color, and it was graded by the American Gem Society Laboratory, you would expect to see that that diamond would have a very high asking price compared to those exact same qualities but graded by a lesser tier lab. So in other words, Rappaport lists his wholesale prices to the industry at, at a number less X percent. And so the, the top, top laboratories are listed 
close to uh, close to zero percent, or Rappaport minus five percent, minus ten percent, and the low tier laboratories get listed for similar qualities, uh, substantially less than that. And when I say substantially, it's a lot. There are some laboratories that get listed at Rappaport minus seventy <laughs> percent. So you can see that uh, an ideal cut. BS2 Clarity H-Color Diamond is not the same. And you know why? The reason why is this, is that the, the laboratory that's grading a diamond that, and it's being traded at Rappaport minus 70% tells you either that laboratory is not grading accurately on purpose or incompetently or uh, it's just their business models trying to get people to think that they're buying a better quality than they really are. And so we're continually right at the top. So you, <laughs> uh, you know, the two biggest labs are, are is ours and, and our sister organizations. Yeah, yeah that, that, that I, I I must attest to that that whole statement about how you come to top tier laboratory. I, I haven't actually thought about it like that, but I've experienced it and I've noticed that. But if you're searching for a diamond in any one of these indexes that you're speaking about, the AGS Laboratories stones trade, so I guess what I would say is they trade for a higher cost, right? And that in turn tells me that the diamond associated with this report that's validated with that report has a better brand value. So it, it says it's it's worth more, essentially. And, and that's, I think, where we're going to lead to our next question is, is how you've positively changed the industry by this performance grade system and and how that's happened that you've created such a brand. I mean, how did this happen where you've lifted yourselves up and and and, and, and fortunately and unfortunately the bootstraps of our entire diamond polishing world in a way. How how, how did that how did that happen? How did you guys do that? Uh okay. Well, the way the reason we did it was is that historically, you know, there when you use the word cut as being applied to a diamond, most people thought that it only meant the shape. Well, this is a pear-shaped cut. This is a marquee-shaped cut. This is a princess cut. This is a round, brilliant cut. And so the word cut is synonymous, and, and it's accurate to be synonymous with the shape of the diamond. But in addition... Cut also refers to fine fine craftsmanship, and if you put the correct angles on diamonds, they will do perform much better. They'll do what they're supposed to do. White will go into them, it'll bounce around, it'll reflect and refract, and it'll come back out of that diamond to your eye, and you're going to see a lot of brilliance and fire and sparkle. And uh, well-made diamonds do that. So before we came along, the... It was a very, very basic two-dimensional type of grading system where there were charts and it, it said, if you cut a round braiding cut diamond with a, and put a 57% table facet on it and 34-degree crown main angles and 40.8-degree pavilion main angles, that would get our highest grade from a laboratory that had a two-dimensional grading system like that. And that kind of a system... Uh, for a standard round brilliant, there are 57 or 58 facets on a standard round brilliant. 58 if the stone has a culet, but 
very few diamonds are cut today with culets. That's the little point at the tip of the point. So if you if you add that up, there are only that kind of a system only addresses 17 of the 57 facets. There are 40 more facets on that stone. Eight, eight star facets, 16 upper half or upper girdle facets, and 16 lower girdle or lower half facets. So that's a, there's 40 more facets on that stone. And every one of them is important because if you start cutting them too far off angle or if you start cutting them um, too far off azimuth, you're going to have problems with the light performance of the stone. So what we did was we ended up, um, we got hooked up with um, Dr. Jose Sassian down at the University of Arizona in Tucson. And uh, he's an optical physicist and a very, very well-known um, in his industry. And um, he put us on to ray tracing. Ray tracing is what optical physicists do when they design anything. The, the lenses for telescopes, the lenses in today's cars, you know, just to make sure that the headlights shine with the correct intensity and in the correct direction. But designers are always trying to make really beautiful headlamps that match the car and, you know, follow the contours and stuff like that. Um, so anyhow, he put us on to, on to uh, ray tracing, which we take the three-dimensional uh, model of the stone that we get when we measure the stone with these modern measuring devices, and then we use we put virtual light rays into that diamond, and we track each and every one of them. And for grading purposes, we use about 40,000 virtual light rays that go into the diamond, bounce around, we find out where they entered, what happened to them, what happened to it when it was inside the diamond, where did it go, and uh, when it left the diamond, did it come back somewhere in the vicinity of your eyes so that you could see what's going on, or did it leave at an oblique angle which you wouldn't see it, but somebody in the, somebody in a crowded room would see it, but you wouldn't see that particular uh, burst of bright light. So we measure all of that, and then we, we took all of that and we developed metrics to say, okay, if you cut a diamond this way, here's what's going to happen. And we knew from experience that with the, specifically the round very cut diamond, there's a, there's a general agreement that, you know, the, the table size for a standard round brilliant in a really, really well-made, beautiful diamond needs to be between around 54 to 60% in uh, diameter compared to the overall diameter of the diamond. The crown angles need to be between 32 and 36 degrees, and the pavilion angle needs to be between 40.4 and maybe 41.6 at the most. So those are those 17 main facets I talked about earlier, and uh, we still haven't accounted for, and nobody else can account for, the other 40 facets, but because <laughs> our system is fully three-dimensional, and we track every single ray of light that goes into the stone, we know exactly what's going on and how the other 40 facets either contribute to the diamond's beauty or have weaknesses in areas that detract from the diamond's beauty. <laughs> That's a lot of information. I, th I think that uh, the one question I have, you know, since I know these images... And I've seen these images. The only the question I have based upon those statements is, does the A-set, when it takes a photograph, so I'm geeking out for everybody listening, 
when, when you take an actual physical photograph and then you have the computer model, how close do they compare? Well, they, uh, we call an asset just like a, an asset on a, on a ledger. And it stands for Angular Spectrum Evaluation Tool. And that's actually, the asset images are, are wonderful because what they do is they graphically map where a diamond is gathering light. And we have found through our research that, you know, if the diamond gathers too much light from a low angle, you're not likely to get a direct source of light. So, in other words, in a typical indoor lighting environment, where does the light come uh, from up high? So, you want diamonds to gather light from a higher angle rather than down low, about halfway up the wall. In, in Did I lose you? Or block the ability of the light to... Uh, get to the stone so that it can it can brighten up. So what did we do? We've color coded these angular ranges based on a lot of research, and said, okay, light that enters the diamond below 45 degrees is essentially lower quality light. It's usually light that's reflected off of a wall from uh, a, a light fixture or a, a sconce light in the upper wall in a building or in a room. And then the, the best area for diamonds to gather light is this area from around 45 degrees to 75 degrees from the, from the horizon or from the floor. So from 45 to 75 upward, that's a great place to gather light because that is where you're likely to find direct sources of light, but they won't be obscured or blocked by your head and your body when you are viewing that diamond. So that's the, the, one of the key understandings of our, our metrics. And then finally, we color code the higher angle lighting from 75 up to 90 degrees because it's, uh, we color code that in blue. So we have blue for high angle, red for medium angle, and green for low angle. And these images, if you look at the images, they're red, green, and blue. And if there's any leakage, they're color-coded white or black, depending on the environment we're modeling them in. And here's what it tells you. The high-angle light, which is color-coded blue, is, is good to have some of it. It's, a, it's um, a two-edged sword. Too much of the blue will make the stone go dark. Not enough of the blue won't make the stone as interesting as if it had some of those high-angle lighting. Because as a human being starts blocking, as they're moving or they're blocking the ability of the stone to gather light, it helps to set up areas of scintillation or sparkles. And it also sets up light and dark areas in the stone, which human beings find very, very attractive. It's like um, you're, you're a diamond expert. You know when you look at diamonds and they're moving and part of the diamond kind of shuts off and it's not much is happening in that part of it, but other parts light up. And it's really interesting when that happens. Uh, if I were to hold a flashlight and tell you, look at the flashlight, how long are you going to be happy looking at it? It's boring. <laughs> you know, there's nothing going on. So that's, um, that's what we did. And we were the first people in the history of studying diamonds to actually build into our metric the effects that a human being has on a diamond when they look at it. <laughs> because naturally, a lot of people look at diamonds up pretty close, and so we built the uh, we we built our system based on an, a human observer, the the average width of a human being's head, and the average width and, and height of their torsos, and we 
got all that information from the military spec, mil spec standards and, and incorporated that into our system. And that's part of the reason we have about, I think we're up to a dozen, 12 patents on our metrics. And wow. It's been 10 years. It's been 10 years and we're still leading edge. I mean, after 10, usually 10 years of today's day and age, you're like a dinosaur almost. We're still at the very forefront of, of diamond cut research in the world today. You're still at the forefront. I, I, I go into jewelry stores, you know, up and down. I won't name names, of course, but I, I visit them uh, usually here in California. But there are people who know none of this, and that doesn't mean that they're bad. But it does mean that in some cases, their customers don't always buy the most beautiful diamond they can, because <laughs> just because they're not aware. So it is a slow boat to turn our industry, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, diamonds are always characterized as, you know, they are. When they're cut really well, they're, they're some of the most beautiful things on planet Earth. But um, sometimes the cut, you know, it's a money deal, too. You know, in the manufacturing industry, you have to make a profit. And one of the ways that, that you, businesses either prosper or, or go out of business is if they don't make enough profit. So sometimes they have to save a little more weight for the rough and put different angles on that piece of uh, diamond crystal. And uh, it's just not as pretty as it could be, and it weighs a little more. And um, people, you know, everybody goes, well, you know, she wants my intent, my betrothed or my intended is, you know, I want she wants a one-carat diamond. i got to get her a one-carat diamond. <laughs> well, you know, that one-carat diamond may not be as pretty as a 95-point a diamond, but, you know, it's just human nature. You go, you go down there and say, well, yeah, i got a 95-pointer, and everybody's going, oh, wow, that's, that's to your face says, oh, that's great. But they're thinking, well, did the guy scrimp, scrimp and save on the diamond he <laughs> buy it under a carrot? But in reality, the person was probably doing the smart move by buying a super ideal cut diamond exactly. that weighed 95 <laughs> points rather than a one-carat diamond that didn't wasn't cut very well. So it's a... <laughs> You know, it's a long road, to ho- uh, long road to hoe, as you said. He is he is in a catch twenty two though, because you know there is that that theory that if you buy right under a carrot, that they, that there is a deal. But in a lot of cases, unfortunately, that they the the cutter has done exactly what with with what you said is that they've tried to push that diamond up so much to a carrot that the angles of which they've put the facets on have carried so much weight. So instead of it being a 90 pointer, it ends up being a 98 pointer and, and they don't end up being very beautiful at times. So he is in a catch 22. Is it, it, was it beauty or was it purity or was it size? You know, what, what was his motive? So he's got to be able to sell that. That's why you need an HES report. So there, therefore that brand is validated, right? So if you're, if you're creating something that's for beauty, if you were a wise polisher, or a wholesaler, whatever you had brand-wise, you'd want to make sure you used an HES report that recognized what uh, what you've done, so um, it carries that better value. Right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking as a as a marketer, you'd want to make sure I I, I put the right pedigree with the with the diamond. So <laughs> that would be what I would do. Yeah. Oh gosh, our uh, diamonds with our reports are really you know if you if you're looking for. You know, consumers are very conscious of brands, whether it's a, a Big Mac hamburger or if it's a Hearts on Fire diamond. You know, there are a few very, very strong diamond brands in our industry. Yeah. Uh, and um, and 
part of the part of what a brand is is that it's it's it fulfills an expectation of a consumer. They know that if they're going to buy that product and they're familiar with that brand, they're going to get the quality they're going to pay for. And that's what happens if you buy a branded diamond with an American Gem Society laboratory report. You know you're going to get that quality. You, you know it. You can put your thumbprint on that that document, which has that wonderful image on it. <laughs> That's correct. So, so here's here's we're, we're, we'll we'll go in a different direction. We already know that you're you're passionate about cut, but if you had your opportunity to rearrange or approach the four C's in your preference or priority, what what do you think that they would be? Well, the American Gem Society has always ranked the the four C's of of diamond quality by they go by cut first. Not not the shape of the stone, but how well is the diamond cut, or the angles and azimuth and polish and and symmetry, top 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 notch. That cut goat comes first, and uh, the second category is color. Third category is clarity, and the last category, or the least meaningful really, is is carat weight. Where most consumers think carat weight's the most important, but for the aforementioned things we just discussed, it's really the least important. Yeah. If you're going to buy a diamond, uh, you know, you want to get the best best cut that you can afford. Me, I can I can go either way on clarity, cut or clarity. I think that, um, you know, uh, not cut or clarity, excuse me, color and clarity. So, you know, you might rank them cut, clarity, color, carrot weight, or cut, color, clarity, uh, Carrot weight. So, color and clarity depends where you're at in the clarity scale uh, based on your budget. If you get too low in the clarity grades, then you start getting into the eye visible occlusions, and sometimes they're very. They can really be. Uh, they really detract from the diamond's beauty, and in the lower clarity grades. Other times, though, you can have a lower clarity stone, where, say, for example, the the uh, inclusions are over on the edge of the stone, and they can be covered up with a prong and a mounting and stuff like that. And the stone will just look fantastic. So, uh, again, that requires expertise that most consumers don't have, nor do they have access to learning about that kind of stuff. So, it, it uh, if it was me, I'm, I would call lower clarity grades. I would put clarity first. So it would be cut clarity, color, current weight, and uh, if, if the color gets too low, I put put it just in reverse. That's my opinion. <laughs> be, be the mix and match dependent upon the stone. You know, I, I have yeah. I, I have a side question here for you. If if a stone has a low enough clarity, now I'm I'm being philosophical a little bit. Um, if it has a low enough clarity, wouldn't it wouldn't it affect the performance grade, or could it? Well, in our system, it. It, it absolutely could, but see the way that the way that diamonds are are evaluated for quality, the four C's, you have cut color clarity and carat weight. So there are people that have machines where they just measure, they they like shine light on a stone and capture the image with a camera and then try to count the pixels and, yeah. and things like that. And a, and a very low clarity diamond will. Um, not get the top score in that kind of a, mm. a measuring device. The problem, though, is this, is that the second you try to do that, 
you're you're commingling two of the four C's that establish value. You know, you're going to be affecting the cut grade of the stone because of the in, the clarity. So yeah. the clarity and cut and color are all independent of one another in establishing value in the diamond world. And the, believe me, there have been plenty of people that have tried to build a machine that, you know, was the end-all, be-all and would be <laughs> able to wrap all four of those categories together, uh, cut, color, clarity, carrot, weight, into one, into one metric. Nobody's done it, and until they do, you know, we like our approach. We take uh, a purist approach in the sense that we evaluate cut based on its three-dimensional geometry, and then we evaluate the clarity grade. So if it's a low clarity grade, yeah, you could expect that. Even if it was cut perfectly, it may not be as brilliant and sparkly and fiery as a, a similarly cut diamond with a higher clarity grade. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, the, the, the box that does all the grading, I actually got a call from somebody a couple of months ago said they had one, and I said, yeah, right, show me. They've never brought me anything. So that's funny. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, uh, that's just a, a funny... Anyway, it doesn't really matter, but I'd like to see that box once they invent it. So if, if you could add a C, right? So we've got cut, color, clarity, and carrot weight, right? And cut, and we're kind of pushing in a different direction. It's not shape. It's really the beauty or the performance of the stone. But what C would you add? So if there was five C's on our report of the future, what would it look like? I, I'm a big fan of, a, of creating a true certificate. And this is a, it's a personal idea. I mean, I like uh, the concept of it. You know, the, all of the diamond grading laboratories in the world, none of them issue like true certificates, which means if you certify something, that means you're standing behind what you say. And, and since we're dealing in the subjective realm for three of the four C's, you know, you have carrot weight is objective, you measure it on a machine, but cut, color, and clarity, there are subjective components to all three of those grades that establish the value. And that's why uh, laboratories write reports. They don't write certificates. The reports are, um, at their finest, are truly an expert independent, expert, unbiased, third-party opinion as to the quality of the diamond. But all the laboratories disclaim that, you know, in today's day and age, typically uh, plus minus one grade in any of those categories is acceptable industry tolerance. Unfortunately, um, just one one grade up or down in the higher clarity color grades can make a huge difference in the value of the stuff. And um, that's why I think that the technology is advanced enough that, that uh, and I hope we're the guys that do it first, could actually write true certificates where we say, we guarantee the quality of this diamond. Uh, right now we're a top tier laboratory, top two in the world, and we are really proud of what we do and we write, the reason we're a top-tier laboratory, which we didn't get into earlier, is because, you know, that's based on price. So over the last 20 years that the lab has been open, we do a consistent and accurate job day in and day out. Every day of the week, every week of the year, every year after year. And that's how we have earned that reputation of being a top-tier laboratory. But even then, it's still an expert 
independent third-party opinion. It still provides great things for a consumer. The reason a consumer should want uh, a diamond grading report from a top-tier laboratory is so that when they walk in and talk to their jeweler, now they know the quality. So what's left? The next thing that's left is to discuss or bargain or uh, the, the, the value. How much is this diamond? Which, how much is this diamond ring? You know, so the consumer can work on the price, whereas we take all of the worry about the quality uh, away from them. They don't have to worry about that. Once they know they have a, a grading report, a true certificate would even be better. Because then, if we wrote a true certificate and it turned out that human beings make mistakes and we made a mistake and um, somebody else saw it and said, wait a minute, we don't think that, you know, we think this is outside normal gemological tolerance. So, you know, we, we want to be made whole. True certificate would make that person whole. I think that's wild. I, 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 I don't think even listeners of my show all realize that when they get a diamond and it has a report, regardless, you know, we talk about top tier or no tier, um, that it is totally an opinion. And the liability I always promote falls, unfortunately, on the jeweler because they should be informed and empowered and, and really promote the industry by being that expert that they should be. But unfortunately, sometimes that doesn't happen, which, which of course really brings me to ask you what we should do about fraudulent reports in our industry. I mean, what, 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 what do we do about we're going anti-true certificates and we're going to, um, you know, BLJ uh, Laboratory who has their diamond submitted to them and uh, the diamond dealer says, you know, here, here's an extra hundred bucks call my J and F. I mean, what, what, what should we do with those, with those kinds of laboratories? What should we do as the trade? Yeah. Another great question. It, and it, and it begs a, a small little explanation. Earlier, we talked about the Rappaport diamond report and Polygon and IDEX that publish asking prices for diamonds to the trade. And, and, that information, a consumer can't get that information. You can't even get on their websites if you're not a member of, of those groups, and, and you have to be in the jewelry industry. So you can see that, and you can say, oh, okay, here's a, uh, here's a VS2H color ideal cut stone from XYZ Laboratory. Oh, and look, it's Rappaport minus 50% when the same quality specified the asking price with an AGS report is Rappaport minus 7%, So, which means the price for an AGS reported diamond is much higher. Mm. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a really hard problem. The hard problem is, number one, consumers can't see the information. Different levels of the industry, people don't care that they know for a fact. I mean, it's provable. All you got to do is look at the asking price, and you can be absolutely positive that if the asking price is, is 50% less than a top-tier laboratory's asking price at the wholesale level, then you know that the people that are issuing those reports either can't grade for beans or are intentionally <laughs> called sweet grading. They're grading the stones better than they really are in the hopes of getting business from 
other people whose uh, ethics, uh, you know, I don't want to judge, but yeah. their ethics are maybe not as uh, <laughs> not as in line with uh, uh, your your ethics or my ethics or the general consensus of that we keep it uh, domestically of the American public. You know, yeah. we just look at it that way. <laughs> so it's a tough deal. But I mean, you can actually prove that those laboratories are either shouldn't be in business or they should be put in jail. One of the two things. That's not the solution, though. The solution is get the consumer, get the information to the consumer. I've suggested in the past that, you know, if we could get somebody like uh, one of the big, you know, uh, newspapers or something that, you know, like the New York Times or, or something like that, that if they would publish an index so that any consumer could go and look up what is the loose diamond index for this week, and it would list all of the laboratories, and it would say diamonds with reports from this laboratory would, let's say we're a top-tier lab, so let's say just say we put 100 for us, okay? And then diamonds with a report from XYZ laboratory, they're at 62. (laughs) So that tells the consumer that, if they're looking at a report from XYZ and it says uh, VS2H ideal, and they're looking at the same report from a top-tier laboratory that says VS2H ideal, they, they're going to know that if they buy that diamond with XYZ report, first of all, they know they're not going to get, they can at least say, well, listen, I'll, I'll buy the stone, but I'm not going to pay, I'm not going to pay full index price. I'm going to pay index less 38%, yeah. and then I'll be happy to buy the stone. So now you level the playing field. But consumers currently do not have that information, no. nor can they get it. I, I, I think about it, you know, I, I can be as, I, I, we, I, I don't have to worry about being politically correct. So at times I've been known to call callers bozos because of some of the questions they ask and they bring up things about, you know, laboratory, laboratory reports like that. But I, I think that, um, you know, there are rock stars in our industry that really promote something good and they are willing to stand behind and support the customer, the consumer, and then they use a top-tier laboratory report, AGS, uh, and, and, and promote it that way. And then there are those in our industry, and it's been going on. You, you, you've been in the industry longer than I have, and it's been going on since I've been in it, and I've only been in it since you know the early, you know, middle 80s, and there's been issues with reports. It's just disappointing it's really come to the forefront right now when this has been going on for decades and decades, and probably since the, the diamond investment craze was was uh, one of the shows I had in the past when all of these new labs sort of popped up. But yeah, I, I wish there was some way we could empower the consumer to drive the industry. But unfortunately, as you and I would probably both agree upon, it's really the trade that should be doing the right thing and driving the industry to the consumer. And unfortunately, we kind of have to go the back way. We wish that they would come in and say, hey, do you have this diamond with this report? <laughs> Not this one from the middle of nowhere. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the issue, I think. You know. yeah. Well, you know, the, the nice thing about that is there, there are some things starting to happen in that arena. And uh, part of it is, um, you know, uh, Rappaport Diamond Grading Report, Martin Rappaport, their firm, they delisted. 
they delisted one of the major gemological laboratories last year or earlier this year. I'm not quite sure of the time frame. But they took them off their price list because yeah. they said, you know, these people are grading. Their, their grading tolerances are usually too good and way too good, and they're, they're not good for our industry because, you know, this uh, sweet grading and misgrading of diamonds, intentional misgrading for the giving diamonds better grades, it has been a skeleton in our closet, but the solution is really not, it's just not, it's not a simple solution, yeah. you know, but, it, but the beauty of the Internet information. People are getting more information today and they can make better choices and they can make better decisions when they have information. And that information is getting out there. And when you start hearing about major gemological laboratories being delisted from the price sheets and things like that, that shows you somebody's trying to do it. it, it I've come to learn in, uh, through the years that you know, these, a lot of these processes take a long time. But as long as <laughs> As long as the information gets out there, pretty soon enough people hear it and they try to do something about it. I know. Just wish it was sometimes faster. So it, it, over your career, you know, we're talking about changes in the industry. And one of those, of course, we hope for true certificates. We hope for ethical changes in the laboratories. So they, if they're going to compete, that they're all top tier. But w- what would you think over your career, current, current and past, that stands out as probably the most memorable? Yeah, well, now you're going to make me date myself. You know? <laughs> anyway, sorry. that's okay, though. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. Sorry. I uh, I got into this industry. I got out of the United States Air Force in 1972, and I went to work for the Geological Institute of America in January of 73. So I've been around this business a while. And, uh, and, and through all the years, the two, the two biggest things in my in my career are the American Gem Society hired me to build and direct their laboratory. So they, yeah. I came on board with them in October of 95. We opened the AGS laboratory in 96, early March, April, I think it was around June. March of yeah. 90. Uh, Whenever so you did the tour that was of the our lab. Cut grade. Oh. The laboratory, the laboratory actually opened, uh, and before we even started doing all the research for the cut grades and stuff, the three-dimensional light performance cut grade that we have, that's the second, it's the biggest thing in my life. And uh, and so, first of all, you know, being part of the group of people, I was the executive director, director and still am of the laboratory, and building the lab was so much fun. I love building stuff, you know. I'm, I'm not a very good businessman because of, like, <laughs> doing projections and stuff like that. But I love doing work like that. When you're creating something, it's a, just a, such a fun, hard, hard work, but fun and close, working close with a lot of cool people. <laughs> that kind of stuff I love. And I was able to do that, and it became a success. You know, we early on, we almost failed. You know, we were running out of money fast. Mm-hmm. Finally, our, our name got out there enough that uh, the, the worm turned, as they say, and, you know, it's been a great ride ever since. Yeah, the tipping point so occurred. That's, yeah, the tipping point. The tipping point. So <laughs> we're, I'm, I'm very, very, um, I'm very happy about that. I, I look at that as a, as a great personal achievement, but, but knowing full well that, you know, I'm only part of the, I'm just, I just want to be like 
a gear in the, in the machine, you know, but I want to be the, a really smooth running gear. I want to be part of the group, you know, <laughs> and I've been fortunate enough to, to be surrounded by a lot of really, really talented people through the years. And, um, so I'm happy for that. Love that I'm man. happy for getting, um, tabbed to, to be in charge of the three dimensional light performance cookery, um, research that we did as well. We started that, I think, in around, oh, I think we first started talking about it in 2000, and then we got around to doing serious research in about 2002, and then it took us a couple of years, and we introduced our uh, three-dimensional light performance cookery system uh, in June of of 2005. Yeah, almost almost nine. Nine years after the lab opened, right? It took, took a little while. Yeah, lab opened in 96. Uh, because yeah. we knew we could only grade round brilliance for cut. And uh, and that was actually my doing. I went to our board and I said, you know, why don't we try to figure out a way where we could cut grade any kind of diamond, shape any kind of facet arrangement, and be able to analyze it. And we have the metrics and the methodologies and, and the software and the hardware to evaluate any diamond cut, and we do a lot of that today. We we build grading systems for proprietary uh, and or patented diamond cuts, which is a wonderful thing because, you know, it spurs innovation. There are people out there that are have ideas for, you know, a new diamond cut that they think might just take off. And, you know, we help those people. We do some of that work pro bono. We just do it because it's good for our industry. It's good for the industry. So, so pe- people will send you things. What's the weirdest thing you've had sent to your lab for uh, for analysis? Well, we get some very, very strange cuts. I mean, if you had to talk about cuts, <laughs> there's uh, <laughs> there's diamond cuts. The weirdest is, I mean, we had some guy send a diamond in, and it had uh, it was a square, and it was like forty points, and it had one hundred and fifty facets on. Whoa! I. <laughs> yeah, and I want this is nuts. I mean, you know, there's so many facets on this thing that, you know, you can't, first of all, a diamond cutter couldn't possibly put them on with any real level of precision because there's just too many of them, And uh, for one. And number two, I guess they were just hoping to get some kind of reflections off the surface, you know, some, some glare off of the surface. Reflections <laughs> it's like a, it's like diamond, a but, square rose cut or something. <laughs> yeah, but with 150 facets. So... Anyway, we uh, we told them, you know, it's it's probably a good idea to kind of like kind of knock down that fast count if you can. <laughs> but uh, I think they didn't come back to us. But we still <laughs> get a lot of people back. that do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the third thing um, that I feel grateful for is I, you know, in our, in, our, in the jewelry industry in America, probably the highest. It might be arguable, but. One of the very highest awards in the jewelry industry is called the Robert M. Shipley Award, and it's issued by the American Gem Society annually, and it's annual conclave. And uh, there's been like, in the history of the award, there's been like 45 winners, maybe maybe there's a few more now, maybe closer to 50 through the years, and I got that award in 2005. 2005 so. in April, right? That was, uh, yeah. it was April 2005. Yeah. That's, that's, that is a... That that is a much much deserved uh, award, as far as my opinion would go. So, <laughs> so not that it counts well, for anything. Opinion, that doesn't count for anything. Your, 
<laughs> Your opinion means more than my opinion. If I ran around the world going, you know what? I got that Shipley Award and I deserved it. Exactly. I'm not, yeah. How much? How much weight would that carry? I went, to, I went to Cafe Press and printed a T-shirt that says, "I received the award." <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't mean uh, that much. So, so as as we come to the close in our show, a couple more questions left. You know, we're talking about history and how much fun it's been and all the things and influence that's happened in your life and how you've influenced people such as myself and the trade. You know, if you could have dinner with five people that have influenced the diamond world, right? Who would they be? That, uh, that's another great question. You know, I, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to qualify that just a little (laughs) bit. And the reason why is, is that if I, if I had to start picking names, it would be more than five names. More than but, five. Um, there would be more than five. And so I think I want to stick to like my early years as a fledgling gemologist. Most of the people I'm going to name, are all of them are gone now, except for, except for one of them uh, is still alive. But, you know, because uh, I just know human nature, and if I start naming contemporaries and I miss somebody it's always bad <laughs> you didn't give why didn't bad. you give my name that's what I want to know right now <laughs> yeah I know yeah so how come you didn't how come you didn't name Jay Christopher on yeah this? why, why didn't you give you my know? name oh. yeah so who would it be we're so, talking about past people who would it be number one on my list Richard T. Litico no you know, he ran the, the GIA for many 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 years and um, he's the one that hired me when I got out of the uh, General Hospital of America back in the early 70s, and he hired me to work at GIA. And, um, I mean, he was a father figure. That guy, he was fantastic. You know, he he was unflappable. I never saw him get upset. You know, most people get a little riled up once in a while. <laughs> the guy was, like, just unflappable. <laughs> and he had this extraordinary memory. He would meet... You know, back in those days, we had tons of people were coming through GIA, going to school there to become gemologists, and that's when the Japanese economy, this goes back now, we're talking 1972 and 73 in the 70s. It's like Japan was the, the economic, uh, you know, powerhouse juggernaut, and there were all these Japanese students coming to GIA in, in Santa Monica at that time, going to school there, and... and RTL. People that knew him called him, they either called him Dick or RTL. I was an RTL guy, Richard T. (laughs) Lewis. You know, RTL, he would meet these Japanese students with... Oh, we just got dropped, I think. I hope that didn't happen. If you can hear me, I think I just lost you. Uh, Joey Arts course or something like that. He would remember their names to this day. I'm absolutely astounded how he did that, but it just showed what kind of a guy he was. He did have a good memory, but he also cared about people, and I tend to judge people, you know, what's my gut telling me about people, and he was right at the top of the list. And then I was fortunate enough to work with Bob Crowningfield and Bert Crashes, two other uh, GIA people. They ran the GIA's New York lab, because uh, when I got hired to go to work for them back in the day, I worked in the New York lab, and I learned a lot of stuff from both of those guys. Bob Crowningfield great gemologist, really nice man. And, um, you know, he did a lot of work 
uh, in spectroscopy, looking at the spectrum of different colored stones and stuff like that. And you know, he's a he's a he's just a great guy, you know, and, and a great teacher. Bert Crashes, maybe not the gemologist that Bob was, but he he was a great communicator and a great teacher. You know, he was phenomenal in that regard. He taught me how. I, he took me under his wing, and I was teaching classes back in New York when I was there for a couple of years in the early 70s. And then I moved west. Uh, my father got ill back then, and uh, they GIA transferred me back out to to uh, the West Coast. And I worked with a guy by the name of Chuck Fryer. And most people probably wouldn't even know who he was, but I'll tell you what, he's the best gemologist I ever knew. And not only was he best gemologist, but he was a great guy. He would do stuff like, you know, he taught me a lot of a lot of gemology. But he had this acerbic wit. It was could be really really cutting at times, but it could be really really funny as well. And um, unlike me, he had this great he had a great work ethic. Where I've always been kind of, you know, go with the flow a little bit. You know, cut loose a little here and there, but. You know, but he was just no nonsense guy. No nonsense guy. If you're gonna learn from somebody, he's a better guy to learn from than maybe from me. You know, because I like to play around a little bit here and there. You know. So maybe maybe there was truth in that wit, right? (laughs) Yeah, there was. I, you know, you know what they say: if you if you if you dish it, you gotta learn how to take it. So I, I can do both. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, and the last guy I put on my list was. uh, Gabby Tolkowski. Yeah. I think, you know, he's he's uh, related to Marcel Tolkowski, yeah, who was published <laughs> in 1919 about the ideal cut back in those days and stuff. And and uh, it turned out with all the research we and others have done through the years is that he was right in the ballpark. And, well, Gabby, though, turned out to be one of the, and probably still the most famous diamond cutter in the world, in my opinion. I, he's retired now, but, you know, he cut some of the world's biggest diamonds and he created those. He has this whole line of cuts that he developed called the flower cuts. Yeah. He, he did some stuff around the culet area and adding extra facets there to, to lighten up stones or to make fancy colors more fancy or darker in color. Uh, it served two different functions. And uh, he had the most passion of anybody I've ever met for diamonds. This guy, you'd walk up to him at a trade show and he just started talking about the light and the diamond, and it was all—it was almost metaphysical, you know. They—they, they, I remember that the French did a, a, a documentary on him. And he was talking about when he was planning to cut, uh, maybe it was the centenary, some big, big, big diamond, and uh, you know he was putting, trying to put his mind inside the diamond and look out <laughs> at the world from the diamond. But you know what? It might have been a total crock as far as science goes, but the passion is undeniable, you know? And I love that guy for that. And uh, so that's my five people. <laughs> he's, he's like the, uh, uh, maybe, I, maybe I'm quoting it wrong because I got, I got to look at history, but he's kind of like the wavy gravy of the uh, diamond cutting world. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly. Going, that's going back a long ways. But anyway, but yeah. You, you love him. I love him. You love him. All right, so as as we wrap up, and of course we are so blessed to have had you on the show, what would be the final question I would have would be if you were or you were going to give advice 
to a guy today who's uh, looking for an engagement ring, um, what would you tell him? And I've had a similar recommendation for a lot of years. You know, uh, because of all the stuff that's going on in the diamond world, especially with the, you know, the the, the greater um, there's more and more synthetics being produced, and some of them unfortunately aren't being disclosed. So, and there there are different forms of treatment now too. Uh, recently, there was this believe it or not, some really high tech coating that unethical people were putting on diamonds that even under high magnification, you couldn't see it, but you could put the stone in acid and, it would, and the color would drop like three grades. So Whoa. these kinds of things are happening all the time. And uh, part of, the, part of the, the reason why it does happen is that laboratories like us, we're always in a reactive mode. We can't be proactive because we don't know who, what, when, where, and how. Some new thing's going to come down the pike. You know, they go, uh-oh, here's a problem. But in general, I, I tell any guy, well, I'd also tell him, <laughs> spend, spend till it hurts, because you got to make sure she that she knows that you really love her. Don't go broke. Don't go spend till it hurts. <laughs> and, uh, and then I would say, buy a diamond with a report from a top-tier laboratory like the American Gem Society Laboratory. And then once you have that assurance... Now you can do your homework. Now you know the quality, and then you can do your homework and go online and try to figure out what is the real value for something like this one. And then when you go out to shop, you can concentrate on the price, not the value. Once you know the value, then, I mean, yeah, once you know the value, then you can figure out what, what should the price be. So go online, do your homework, try to find out what the price should be for that, and then just buy with confidence. And secondly, or thirdly, or fourthly, or fifthly, whatever it is, <laughs> buy the best performing diamond you can afford. Sacrifice in every other category. Just buy the best performing diamond, because I'll tell you why. It hasn't been that many years ago, twenty years ago, for example, before we even came out with our, our three-dimensional stuff in, in 2005. Diamonds used to be cut entirely for weight. There were just a very, very couple, two, three cutters in the world that actually tried to cut, cut for beauty. Everything was cut for weight, and these diamonds, they were, they were not anywhere close to be as pretty as they should have been, or could have been, or would have been. You pick the adjective you like, and um, the, uh, and because of that, you know, a guy would give a diamond to his betrothed, and she would show all her girlfriends. And they're all going, oh, God, it's so beautiful. It's so sparkly. It's everything. It's so, God. And then, you know, a week later, none of those girlfriends ever told her again how beautiful that diamond was. Because you know why? It wasn't beautiful. They were just being nice. But if you buy a top-performing diamond, it will always be beautiful. They don't wear out. Diamonds don't wear out. You know, you can buy a car, it's going to wear out. You buy a diamond, it doesn't wear out. So buy the best-performing diamond you can afford because it won't. Always, always, always be really, really beautiful. All right. So if you're a guy out there, and I've got uh, Peter Yancer here with us, where can they find us? Would that be American Gem Society Laboratories, the website? What is What is the website? It, it is that. So it's the American Gem Society Laboratories website. Uh, you can Google that. But I think it's agslab.com. Is that is that right? Yeah, AGSLab.com. AGS, AGSLAB.com. AGSLab.com. And then, 
Go ahead. There's also the American Gem Society. We're linked because the, the American Gem Society owns us. We're part of the American Gem Society. And you can go to the AGS.org or AmericanGemSociety.com, and the two link together. But our our uh, our website is, is specifically diamond grading, diamond grading information. The American Gem Society has education and a lot, a lot of really cool stuff on their website as well. So just start browsing around. You get a lot of good information there. And um, that's how to get a hold of us. That's how how to get a hold of you. Well, Peter, thank you so much for visiting with us today. I I have very, very much appreciated having you on. You're the first director of Gem Lab I've had on the show. I've had jewelers and diamond cutters and all sorts of things. So I am am grinning from ear to ear. It's definitely been a pleasure to have you. If we had any questions in the future, would you be willing to come back on our show? And you, of course, don't have to answer that now, but uh, would you be willing to? (laughs) I'd love to. As I I get up in years, I'm getting up a little bit in years. I love just talking. So, you know, you can, I'll drive you crazy if you, if you keep calling me. Well, <laughs> well our show is all about listening. So that may be a, a good, a good uh, blend together. So we could marry the two anyway. Well, Peter, thank you so much. And of course, you know how to get a hold of me. And, and of course, this is the Diamond Answer Man show. Peter Ganser, the American Gem Society Executive Director of the Laboratory. Thank you. Thank you, Jay Christopher. It's uh, an honor to be asked. I will look forward to talking to you very shortly. Wow, all I've got to say is what a fantastic time that we were able to have together with Peter. And uh, I hope you've learned some great information about the American Gem Society's laboratory and their specialty in dealing with diamonds in regards to performance, which we both know, if you've listened to any of the shows, has absolutely everything to do with the performance performance and beauty being the same thing always look for a diamond that performs better it'll give you better value it'll look bigger it will look brighter i've been talking about this for years and years and one way you can empower yourself is to make sure that when you buy your diamond round or otherwise make sure it comes with an american gem society laboratory report so, again, thanks for listening to this show. If, you've gonna, if you're going to need to reach me, you may call me at 803-792-1326. You may also send me a voicemail link in through the website there at diamondanswerman.com. On the right-hand side of the site, i got the SpeakPipe app there. You can send it right through your smartphone, Android, or iOS phone, your laptop, your desktop, if it's got a microphone there with it. And, of course, just about every social network, you can go ahead and contact me. Thanks so much for listening to the show.